Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Alice, if you have never met me before, uh, and I work for Bread. You all right, mate? <laughs> um, and it's the first time I'm speaking in this building. It's actually very exciting. I can actually see your faces. In our last building, it was a bit darker, so I couldn't see you all. Well, this is very nice. Um, and this week, we are embarking on a new kind of mini-series on um, connection. Connection to culture, connection to the city, and um, this week, connection to one another. And I want us to spend some time um, considering the transformational power, the joy, the uh, vibrancy, the fun, uh, the life-giving brilliance of what this is, uh, our Christian community. And obviously, community is a key part of church, right? And uh, by the nature of my job, and in particular, I think, by the nature of us being a church plant, I actually spend quite a lot of my time talking about this and thinking about this. Uh, because we are at a stage in our church life where um, we can build something new together, where we can um, have this dis discussion, what do we want this community to look like? And so um, this morning, I think that this is the perfect opportunity, the perfect time um, for us to kind of have a discussion about um, kind of what initiation rules we're going to set in place uh, from here. That was a joke, guys. Ow. <laughs> Just cut all my jokes from here. Um, but I'm thinking, per I mean, my personal favorite initiation would be like people come in first week, they're chill. Um, and obviously they're here on their own terms, but as they leave, just a couple of liquor shots. And then, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll be in, maybe they'll be out. We don't know. Um, but obviously, jokes. Um, but I do think this is a really exciting time for us to be thinking about community. Because there's openness to change. We can all get involved. This can be something that we can all do together. And if you've been knocking around church for any length of time, I think that we could probably all list some key things that community is good at. Yep, it's good. Yep, it's what we're created for. Yep, God uses our community to reveal himself. Yes, it's a family. But I think if we're not careful, when we um, consider key or um, uh, consistent Christian topics or bi biblical themes, um, we think, I, I know that, I understand that. It's, I, I've grasped what that means. And in those moments, I think at times... Uh, the reality of what that means kind of can go in one ear and out the other and not really necessarily infiltrate our hearts or our minds or change how we live. Um, so that's why I want to talk about it. In the New Testament, we have, I mean, so many examples of Christian community, countless miracles, conversions, stories of complete character 180s. Um, Zacchaeus would be an example. Or what about when Paul writes to the church in Corinthians and says, um, we are all part of one body. All of us have individual gifts that should be used, can be used, are created to be used to build the kingdom together. Um, or when Jesus says in Matthew 5 that we are to uh, be like a city on a hill for people to see that our community is different. We are different. But amidst experiencing actual life, I don't think being a Christian sometimes feels as powerful as we read about. LA is filled with opportunity. I uh, think the city is filled with excitement and thrill and uh, incredible, incredible, like open-armed opportunities for people. 
This city runs on a buzz. The way I kind of, uh, the, I feel like the way I've often described it is that it feels as though there's like this low hum of expectancy that runs through everything that our city is and does. And I think that's why people move here from all over the world, because anything is possible in LA. But what happens when we reach for it, when we gr like try and grab for whatever it is that we feel cool to do, wh whatever we're passionate about, and we fail or we don't get there? Or what if we get there and we arrive and we're still not really that content? Failure and discontentment are breeding grounds for loneliness. There may be a lot of opportunity in LA, but it's also incredibly lonely. But we, the church, we have the antidote. An alternate society, a counterculture, a community filled and united by the spirit of the living God. And that's the reason why church should not smell anything like or look anything like a golf club or a social club. It should not fo follow a business model. Um, church should never feel, you're in, you're out. Um, because it's nothing like other forms of human community. We come together to be transformed and renewed by the power of the living God. And this is not simply what we want bread to be. It is actually what we are called to be. This is a um, kind of an en masse church calling to be an alternate society. So before exploring the how... I first want to establish what it is I actually mean by community. The Greek word for community is koinonia. And as is always the way with Greek, community doesn't really cut it. Because its meaning is a lot more distinct than our immediate understanding of community. Koinonia means Christian fellowship or body of believers. It refers to an intimate spiritual connection. And there's more. Because the word koinonia is also um, active in its nature. There's movement, there's space, there's openness in koinonia. It's open-armed. Because it can also be translated to an experience that is participatory or um, one that is characterized by contribution. I think what often comes to mind when we think of community is social hangouts and... Uh, mentorship and small groups and being together. And of course, these things are incredibly important. We absolutely need them. They add uh, to the flourishing of a community. But in the process of understanding um, community to only or to mostly include these, um, let's call them discipleship elements of church, I think we actually dilute the meaning of koinonia. Jesus says this in John 17, 23. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is saying, people will believe that Christians have actually found the love of God by the... Um, quality of our life together, 
by the quality of our community. Our community, this church, is the way we represent Christ-likeness to Los Angeles. Because in, our, in, in its nature, in the midst of this, it's evangelistic. And have you ever noticed that people get on inside of church with other people inside of church that absolutely would not be friends out there? Um, the night I got home from my first ever experience of church, I didn't grow up in church. And I was invited to church by a friend in college. But the, the first night I got home from that first service, I, um, I got home and sat on my bed and I cried for a little bit. For a little bit. And um, I was crying because I had this overwhelming feeling that I had never had friends like the ones I had met that evening. I didn't actually believe Jesus was real. And I absolutely could not wrap my head around the talk I just heard. And I was equally uh, intrigued, fascinated, and a little bit weirded out by the ministry at the end of services. Um, But when I got home, I just couldn't shake this feeling of loneliness. Because I so desired to experience the friendship I'd seen between people that I didn't even know. I wanted to be part of it. In worldly terms, these people that I met absolutely should not have made up a friendship group. Each person was genuinely like a puzzle piece, but just from separate puzzles that don't make any sense. Um, But one thing was clear about them. They weren't faking it. They friggin' loved each other. Christian community embodies the gospel. It embodies the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus. It represents the powerful, uh, transformational uh, power of God's love. Because Christian community says, hey, everyone's in. Everyone, come on, everyone's in. We're united in love. We're united by Jesus. There is absolutely no other requirements necessary. Why was I emotional when I got home? Why did I feel grieved and lonely? I think it's because I just, for the first time, had seen a glimpse of the family that I've been created for, that we all have. And this is Christian counterculture at work. Because Koinonia is open-armed, it is always open to a new contribution, to a new friend, to a new person. Koinonia anticipates growth. It expects it. Christian community is also the place where we become more like and we learn to behave more like Jesus. And that's amongst other people, hopefully, who are also learning to become more like and behave more like Jesus. We do it together. We uh, encourage one another and are in it with one another. Um, Romans 12, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's a very famous passage, um, and it goes on to explore humble service and Christian love in action. But in essence, the call of the, the entirety of Romans 12 is is to offer ourselves, to serve, to sacrifice for the kingdom. And this is often interpreted as this kind of um, personal um, transformation encouragement. It's about us. It's about what we must do. But 
actually a demand that we commit ourselves to a corporate body and not live as autonomous individuals any longer. All of Romans 12 should be read as like a description of this new society that we're part of. Because it is in and while we engage with Christian community that we're changed. As I said briefly earlier, Christian community is not just people coming together and learning to become exactly the same and um, sharing their interests in the process and all having the same interests. Um, It is the way in which we become less like our old selves and become something more, become more of who God has created us to be. And just a kind of quick segue, I want to recognize that for some of us, we have felt the pressure of the church to contort ourselves in any way necessary to fit into a very small, very particular Christian mold, Christian box. One that leaves often no room for our actual personality, who we think we are. It leaves um, no doubt, no, no room for our doubts or our questions. And I'm sorry if that's your experience. And I just want to dispel the lie that that's actually what Jesus wants for you or expects of you to become less of who you really are. Because this directly opposes koinonia. It reduces the ability for us as a collective to to hear differing contributions. And it suffocates our willingness to be open to the spirit because we don't actually trust in the process that what he wants for us is good or that he's willing to bring us to life. So when I say we become less like our old self, I'm speaking um, of our brokenness, the stuff we can actually get rid of the stuff we can just leave to the side, the stuff we carry around. Becoming less like our old self is experiencing uh, freedom from what enslaves us by the Spirit of God. Finally, Christian community is where we learn more about who God is. After Charles Williams died, um, C.S. Lewis made a profound statement about friendship. He said this, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to cool the whole man into being, into activity. Far far from having more of Ronald, having him all to myself now that Charles is away, I actually have less of Ronald. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth. We possess each friend, not less, but more as the number with whom we share them increases. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven. For every soul, seeing him in her own way communicates that unique vision to the rest. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall all have. Lewis's point is that human beings are too rich, too multifaceted to fully understand one-on-one. We actually need to see our mates with one another because we bring different attributes, different qualities out in one another. And if this is true of people, how much more true is this of God? 
This is why it's so important that we give each other space to be who we really are, to become ourselves. Because each of us has a unique perspective and understanding of God, and we actually need each other's perspectives to expand our understanding of who God is, just as Hannah said earlier. Koinonia is powerful. It is intimate spiritual connection because you actually can't really know Jesus by yourself. Not all of him. So the next question is how? How do we do this? How do we um, build this koinonia, this kind of community that I'm talking about? Um, The letter Paul writes to the Philippians gives us a beautiful and powerful insight into how we can foster, build, grow, and experience Christian community. It says this. This is Philippians 2, 1 to 11. Therefore... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of the same mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, a little whistle-stop tour into the context of this letter before I I continue. Paul's um, usual MO when he arrives somewhere new is get to the synagogue, Um, rally a group of Jews and God-fearing Gentiles and preach the gospel. But when he arrives to Philippi, there is no synagogue to be found because it's probably because there wasn't enough Jewish men to warrant one or to establish one. So what we read about in Acts is that the gathering he finds here in Philippi is actually a group of women who um, meet by the river on the Sabbath, and this group is uh, led by Lydia. Now, Lydia is a dealer in purple cloth and a woman who owns a whole household. And those two pieces of information are incredibly important because it tells us these things, that she is an accomplished businesswoman, she is therefore powerful, and she has influence in her community. So this is someone who would not mess around with other people in society. She's not hanging out with anyone. She is in the upper echelons of uh, the social set. She didn't just have um, she didn't just have a membership to Soho House. She like owned Soho House worldwide. Um, does that make sense? So when Lydia becomes a Christian and offers her house as a meeting place to build the church, that should not be overlooked or underestimated. More so, in Acts 16, we read that her whole household is baptized. This tells us that the church in Philippi 
is not only made up of Lydia, her friends, potentially her business partners, her acquaintances, her household, her workforce, I mean her slaves are being baptized, they're becoming Christians. The Philippian church is a church of diversity, filled with people of totally different strata. So this church is koinonia in action. This is counterculture. This is the transformational power of the spirit. And yet it's also here that we read the passage that we just read and we see Paul urge the Philippians back to unity. So they're arguing, they're disagreeing, their community isn't going to plan, there is disconnection, there's selfish ambition. Sounds a little bit like humans. So the keys to getting back on track, unity, humility. Verse three to four, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of others. We are called to exemplify Jesus. We are called to die to ourselves, aiming to become more like God. And in doing so, we experience unity, unity with our Father in heaven, unity with one another. And this is actually one of the great paradoxes of our faith. That in, in the practice of dying to ourselves and humbly serving others, and aiming to become more like God, we actually truly find ourselves. We're set free. Now, just to be clear, loving unity does not look like a total aversion to any form of conflict. It doesn't mean that we just superficially put up with one another and smile through the experience of pain and give each other a side hug on Sundays, even when we don't like one another or we're annoyed with each other. We can actually build a like-minded community that doesn't agree on everything. Because it's not human or political or societal things that we're called to agree on. We can disagree in those areas and still share the same attitude of love through Jesus. So that sounds pretty simple, right? So we unify the Jesus, we put each other first. But obviously, there's just one key detail that we're missing. Um, and that's that Christian unity has always been and will always be impossible for humanity in practice. We will fail at this. We will hurt each other. We will not always be unified. We will not always be the perfect church. If I, if I went around the room now to each one of you, I'm pretty certain that every single person here could recount stories of being hurt by church or hurt by people in church. And if you didn't, I don't know whether you'd be honest. People have hurt us. They've infuriated us. I'm sure they've baffled us in church and made us go red in the face with anger because we feel like we're right and they're wrong. And I'm sure that when some of us have been challenged to the extreme, I count myself in on this. It's made us question, what on earth am I doing here? Why am I here with these people? And that's because the church is made of broken people. And yet you're here, sat in church. This past week, I um, realized something about myself. <laughs> that when people say, I love you, I subconsciously, until now obviously, because I realized it, I subconsciously don't say it back. Genuinely, I sit through the awkwardness. 
or I smile, or I change the subject. And it must have happened four separate times this week. And I even realized it when one of my friends, one of um, you guys, walked in this morning and someone said, I love you, and I didn't say it back. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm talking about that later. Um, I very rarely say I love you too. And perhaps more interestingly, I actually find it really easy to say I love you if I say it first. So I will tell people I don't know that well. I'm like, I love you. I say it often. But those people who I really love, who actually mean something to me, who have the ability to hurt me, when they say I love you, I just sit in silence. Do you know what that is? It's pride. Perhaps not purposeful pride. It's almost certainly triggered by childhood stuff, like with all of us, but it's pride all the same. Because through my experience, I have been preconditioned to believe that I don't need you. I can do it on my own. I'm actually strong enough on my own, thank you very much. And more than that, if I'm in control, if I say it first, maybe when you let me down, when you hurt me, when you reject me, it won't hurt so much. And every time that I realize another thing like this about myself, I discover that there is a conditioning of brokenness that goes all the way through my life. It wiggles and it whines and it hides itself. And the same is true of you. And obviously, we're all in a, a consistent train of learning with this stuff. And as I learn more about how people work, um, so many people tell me that that's what my 20s are for. But I kind of wish there was just a textbook that I could read and just be done with it. Um, but as I learn more about how people work, it's clear that we all have wounds that make relationships difficult, that prohibit us from engaging with Christian community. For some of us, it's pride. For others, it's shame, the belief that you're not good enough, that people won't actually love you when they see you. You're not lovable enough to join in the connection. You're too broken. For other, it's fear that you'll be called out or seen or someone will find out things that you've done. And for others still, it's fear of being controlled or just a massive middle finger at the feeling of being judged. And of course, there's also that little voice of doubt. I'm not even sure it's true. While I was writing this talk, I... Um, remembered a woman that I knew a few years ago and she is very prophetic and used extremely powerful for the kingdom powerfully for the kingdom and I remember um when I first met her just wanting to know I was like how just tell me how how you use that powerfully tell me how to do it I'll do it um and I was thinking about her this week and the three words came to mind she was open she was open to being used. She was open to experiencing the love of her father. And she was open to um, teach the people around her, to involve the people around her in what she understood and learn from them also. Unity and humility are humanly impossible. Powerful koinonia is humanly impossible. But they are both made possible by the spirit. We can walk as Jesus walked in the power of the Spirit. 
We may not do this perfectly. We may not do it all the time. But we can do it in Christ. So we must come to him. We must be open to him. Because it is in God's presence that we can put the rot- down the rotting bags of shame and guilt and pride and self-loathing that we're carrying around. And we can be reminded again that we are the most important things in the world and that Jesus has done everything to reinstate us with our Father in heaven. And it is when we're filled to overflowing with the love of God that our posture changes. We are open to God. We're open to healing. And in turn, we actually become open to one another. As our hands are open to God, our hands become open to one another. And we are willing, in the power of the Spirit, to put others before ourselves, to be involved, to use our gifts, to have courage, all for the sake of the kingdom. This is humility. It's knowing that you are who God says you are. And this is what bread is called to. This is what we're called to. This is what our church can do. This is how we can bring it to LA. In the power of the spirit, we should expect to see conversion because people see Jesus in the midst of who we are, in the midst of our community. We should expect to become changed, to become more and more and more of who we really are. And we should expect to learn more of who God is as we reveal more of him to one another. But it all starts with the same conviction that he's our father in heaven, that he loves us, and that there is nothing that you can do to make him love you more, and there's nothing that you can do to make him love you less. So I'm thinking... Why don't we sing open space again? Thanks, guys. Shall we all stand?